the church and they were playing polka music and it was true worship to God and glorified God that we should participate in that also. And that's another way to think about it. You know? It's not about us, it's about Him. And it's about bringing glory to Him and recognizing that. So, um, Like I said, my name is Matt Fonte. Oh, are we good? Thanks, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Uh, born and raised here in Colorado. Grew up in Ardata. Um, I spent a lot of time, our family has a farm in eastern Colorado, in Ray, Colorado. I spent a lot of time out there. Every summer, Christmas break, spring break, from probably the time I was eight years old until I got out of high school, I was out there. And Kylie, who's shaking her head, has got the, the same experience all of my kids have. But um, I, I have three brothers and sisters, and out of those three brothers and sisters, probably the love of the farm comes through me, and it gets passed on to Kylie. She loves it out there, spent a lot of time out there, lots of great values. Um, so, grew up out there, um, and uh, was raised in a Catholic home, went to Catholic church, um, knew a lot about religion, knew a lot about um, traditions and practices and, and what that means and, and things like that. And actually, before we get too far into it, we should probably pray. <laughs> get a little ahead of myself. And dear Lord, I thank you for this thing. I thank you for the work that you do in each one of our lives. Lord, I just ask that you would lead, you would guide, that the words spoken today would not be mine, but yours. That you would um, just slow me down, that you would guide us through that. You would give us hearts to receive what you have for us. And just ask that you would bless this, bless the, the people here, that you would um, meet us right where we're at. You know what our thoughts are, you know our desires, you know what each one of us is going through. You know the number of hairs on our head. And you would just meet us where we are. Lord, I'd ask that you would watch over this community, that you would bless this community. That you've given us a heart for this community, and that we would go out and be lights and witnesses among all of the community and all that we do. And Lord, I just ask that you would watch over this nation, that you would bless it draw it back to you, that you would guide the leadership of this nation in the world, the things that are going on in the Ukraine, the, the people that are being hurt, the, the innocent, that you would watch over them, you would protect them, that you would draw them closer to you, that your name would be made great in that land. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen. So, I give a little light of myself, but... We do have a couple announcements, even though we're new. So the, the Wi-Fi password, if you need to download anything, a Bible app. I, most of the time in the New Living Translation, I'll talk through why and talk through some of the different translations and what they say. Um, but for me, that's where God has led me. Um, and that's the main reason I'm in it. And I, it's easier for me to understand. So if you need to download anything, that's the Wi-Fi password. First announcement is oh, of course free lunch after this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, deal. Yeah. So grilled cheese. We've all been we've all been invited to to join uh, a pastor in Castle Rock. Uh, 
they're doing a creation class on April 9th and 10th and uh, 6.30 p.m. at the library in Castle Rock. So, yeah. So we've done, we've done a creation class of our own through uh, Answers in Genesis, Ken Ham. This is a different one. This is Creation Ministries International. So the creation, Genesis, I believe in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I believe it's all relevant to us today, and I believe it's all true. I believe in the literal interpretation of it, and I think a huge place, especially high school and college-age kids, where there's a disconnect between their faith and the world is in creation and in Genesis, and some of the things that take place there. So, like I said, the answers in Genesis, that was a great a great class to go through, the one that they taught, and, and I'm interested to see what this one is. But it really connects, there's a, a, a misnomer out there that there's a difference between science and the Bible, and that's not true. I find most times that science reinforces the Bible, so, and reaffirms the Bible. So this will be a neat class, and we've all been invited to it. Um, Pastor Tim Marinelli, um, there in Castle Rock, very neat man that we came to know here just a few weeks ago, and uh, so I trust him and I, I trust this, and, and I do want to go check it out. So you guys are all invited to that, just so you know. Um, April 9th and 10th at 6:30 p.m. in the uh, at the Castle Rock Library. So, and then the next one is, even though we are new, we still have we are, have a ministry that we are a part of. Um, and it's feeding the homeless, and it's on Wednesdays, usually from about noon to five every afternoon. Um, this started at another church, and it started off as a soup kitchen, and then as the uh, COVID hit, they couldn't have a soup kitchen anymore, so instead of, they couldn't have gatherings and couldn't serve common food, so what this church decided to do was they got the reusable grocery bags, they printed Romans 9, 10 on there, which we'll go through today, which is the gospel message summed up in one verse. And, uh, and we take those bags, we fill them with food and water and drink, and we take them out to the homeless, and we go meet them where they're at. And there's a need for, the, for this, um, but not a, desire, not a desperate need. The, the food, they do need it, but a lot of them aren't starving. Um, but what the food really is, the food is a key to the door. It's, you know, you're knocking on their campers or on their tents or, or wherever they're at, and, and the, you know, it's usually met with, you know, who is it or what do you want? Uh, and then we say, I have some food and water out here. Do you guys need any? And then it changes dramatically. And then what we do is we, we just get to know them, we love on them, we pray with them. Um, and it's, it's really neat. So I don't know about for kids. I have not taken my kids yet. <laughs> and I have not taken Shannon yet either. So um, I'd say that Shannon can't go if she wants to. It's a lot, so I would encourage you, if that's on your heart, to come be a part of that. Um, it's pretty amazing and pretty eye-opening. Um, a lot of your preconceived, at least a lot of my preconceived notions about the homeless went away the very first time I went up there. It's not, they're not the people that I thought they were, if that makes sense. So, so there's that, so I'm excited about that. Yeah. So back, 
the introduction. Number one, I don't like to talk about myself at all. I don't. I never had Facebook. Still don't have Facebook. Probably for the sole reason that I just never want to talk about me. So, so to talk about me, this is not. This is definitely out of my comfort zone. But, like I said, grew up in Arvada. Spent a lot of time on the farm. Learned lots of great things out there. Um, got a, into construction out of high school. Was going to college, and um, my first job was sweeping the shop floors at a company called Front Range Excavating. Our high school football coach owned the company. Went to work there. Not what I planned on doing. My plan was to go out and farm. And I wanted to figure out a way to get out there. So one of the ways I thought, oh, I'll be a state trooper. And, and I'll get on. And, and after three years, you can pick your assignment. And I'll get assigned out there. And I'll do that for you know, 40 hours. And then farm on the other 40 hours. And life will be great. Um, but God had other plans. Uh, he closed the door on the, on the state trooper thing in a way that only he could. And I was not a believer back then. I went to, like I said, Catholic school. I had a head knowledge of God and Jesus. I believed in my head, but I definitely did not believe in my heart because my life did not reflect that. No. So I ended up in construction, um, which I think was all God's plan, and then just never left. Went to work for Pro Range, and Scott Contracting was another one, um, Dakota and then ended up at a company called Castle Rock Construction. And I spent 16 years there. Um, and for the last eight years, was a, a partner in the ownership there, and, and that was great. But some of you know, some of you don't. God closed that door in a way that only he could. Um, and, and that was, we weren't, we knew going into, the, there were some things going on that we weren't okay with, and we knew that going into that, spoke out against that, that it was, could end up in getting fired, and it did. Um, and that was okay. We knew that. It doesn't make it easy. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we talked about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like I say, in a way that only he can. And, and he's done all throughout my life. He's had his hand in it. But I haven't always received that. So I'm going to talk through that here today. So the way we've been taught in the last 10 years is, is we have a time of worship, but then it's not a 20-minute sermon. It's usually quite a bit longer. So if you guys thought you'd be down 20 minutes, Shannon kind of misled you. You're going to be here all day. What I told I've been living off for all day. So went to Catholic school, um, was raised Catholic, and then met Shannon, uh, we started dating, I was 21, we went to a Presbyterian church, we got married in a Presbyterian church, um, loved the church, but still even at that point, had a head knowledge of God and who Jesus was, but it didn't sink into my heart. Um, we spent some time in a non-denominational church, um, and then we came across, just by, by chance really, uh, this church in Castle Rock, yeah, Calvary, Castle Rock, which um, really opened up my eyes all of God's word, um, we taught through the Bible, chapter and verse, and had never been in anything like that. Um, but even at that point, when we were still going, when we first started going there, I was not saved. Um, and for me, that probably started in the seventh grade. Um, and that was the first time that I ever drank alcohol. And that was sin in my life, and I think in other people's lives, always starts off small, and it grows. And 
And for me, it started off small, and it, and then it, it grew, and it, it added more sin to it, other sins. Um, and that became a, a big issue for me. And, and that's where we'll get started, is I'll tell you my story, but I want to tell you through the, through the eyes, through the lens of the Bible, and what does the Bible say? And so, what does the Bible say about underage drinking? And what the Bible says is that 21 means 21. You know, that's, that's the law. And that's what God says. And God says that through, in, in other ways, but one of the ways he says it is through Romans. Through Romans uh, 13, verses 1 and 2. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Um, so... All, I read that all governing authority is placed there by God. And when I go, like I said, I believe that the Old Testament and the New Testament, all of it's relevant today, it all points to Jesus. The Old Testament points to the Messiah to come. The New Testament points to the Messiah who already came. And it is all reflected on Jesus. You see Jesus all throughout the Old Testament um, and definitely all throughout the New Testament. But, um, and, and I'd love to get into all those, but we can't stay here all day. So... But I see this in the, the nation of Babylon in the Old Testament. God raised up Babylon to bring judgment on Israel. So um, God was, was allowing that authority to get set up over Israel. But then I also read that, that God set up a leader, raised up Cyrus at the end of the Babylonian captivity to set Israel free. And God did it in a way that only he can. And that's an amazing story, and I'd love to get into all of these, but... Isaiah chapter 45 explains who Cyrus is. God calls out Cyrus by name 200 years before Cyrus is ever born. And that's, that's historical documents. You can back that up with historical documents. I think history and science both point to, to God and to his truth. So it's, it's amazing to see that. So those are two ways that I read the Bible, and there's others, that where God set up an authority. Now just because God sets it up, if your mind's anything like mine, I think about like now. Does that mean that God set up these evil authorities? You know, well, Babylon, when you read about Babylon, they were not a good people. God set them up and, and brought them to Israel for judgment. And you'll read through you know, the book of Jeremiah, and it explains a lot of that. But God, even though he was bringing judgment on Israel, he told them at any point, if you repent, if you repent, I'll reserve my judgment. I'll hold back. And, and they didn't. And he gave them many... Many opportunities. It wasn't once. God is long-suffering. And I think in my life, he was long-suffering for 30 years and, and put up with me. Uh, and he does the same for all of us, not just for me and not just for the Israelites back then. So um, then, so what I, if you finish the verse, there's a lot of, of people that can take one verse and you can take it out of context. And I can take a place in the Bible that says there is no God. But when I put that in context, right before that, it says a fool says in his heart, there is no God. So out of context, the Bible can, people can take the Bible out of context. Um, so I do believe that God sets up authorities. But when I finish reading through, um, picking up again in, in Romans 13, verse 3, for the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. 
the authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for every purpose, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. So some key things that I pick up in here is that they're the authorities do not strike fear in people. So, so there's, when God speaks, and we'll later in weeks to come get into this, you know, there's gaps where you read through and they read Jesus, they expected him to come as their conquering king, the, the Jews did. And he didn't. There was a gap in there. And, and we'll go through the, the gaps in the verses that have those gaps. So there's a saying here, the first two verses, God sets up authorities. I fully believe that. But then these verses here, I think, speak to the authorities still have free will. And, and they can choose to follow God or not. And we read the Babylonians and, and the things that, that their leader Nebuchadnezzar did was not what God had in mind. But Cyrus, who was not a godly man, didn't know God. God raises him up, and he chooses to follow God. So, like I said, they... God still has free will. And I think kind of a, a way that clears that up in my mind is through, is there in Zechariah. And in Zechariah, we'll pick it up, chapter 1, starting verse 14. Then the angel said to me, Shout this message for all to hear. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. My love for Jerusalem and Mount Zion is passionate and strong. But I am very angry with the other nations that are now enjoying peace and security. I was only a little angry with my people, but the nations inflicted harm on them far beyond my intentions. So what I pick out of that and what I read out of that is that God set up these other nations. He set up the Babylonians to bring judgment, but they inflicted harm on his people far beyond what he intended. So while he sets up the authorities, the authorities still have that free will to follow God or not. Like I said, Nebuchadnezzar chose not to until later on in his life in a way that only God could do. God brings Nebuchadnezzar to, for Nebuchadnezzar at least to acknowledge him. And, and King Cyrus, on the other hand, does choose to follow God. He set up that authority. But now, I don't read that he ever gives his life to God, but I do read that he did follow what God said. So if that, so when it, we talk about governing authorities, you know, if I think about it, if I'm out speeding, am I looking over my shoulder? Am I looking around? Well, that goes right back to what we just read. You know, if you're doing what's right, you don't have fear. Those are the authorities. Should I obey that? Should I obey the speed limit? Should I follow the laws that are set up? Does 21 mean 21? Absolutely, that does. Um, so that's what, what God's law says. So had I followed what God's requirements were from an early age, my life would have been a whole lot different. But I didn't. And and sin grows, um, and it, it grows in some slowly and, and in some more rapidly. And um, me, it, it seemed like it grew slow, slow until I got married, and then it seemed to grow pretty rapidly. And there's a reason for that. God is the one that instituted marriage. He did that in the beginning with Adam and Eve. The two should become one. That was the first marriage. And now, if God has set it up, what does the enemy want to do? The enemy wants to come and attack, kill, steal, and destroy. And the enemy wants to destroy marriages. And not just marriages, I got married in a church. Any marriage that takes place, that's not a man-made institution. Even if you go to the justice of the peace, 
That's God's institution. You are following, that's not a man tradition. God's the one that set that up from the beginning of time. So you go to the justice of the peace, wherever you go, God is the one that you are falling under, whether you acknowledge him or not. And the enemy wants to come and attack marriages. And he came after ours, and he came after ours very hard. So, and it was not easy. We are not perfect people by any means. We have lots of faults. <laughs> and so, um, but really, my, my biggest problem at this point in my life is sin is growing, is that I have this head knowledge of God. I believe, I believe in the Trinity. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he created the heavens and the earth. I believe it all in my head, but I didn't believe it in my heart. And what I mean by that is I've never, um, it didn't change the way I lived. If God really is who he is, and he's so amazing and loving, why would I choose to live for him? And instead, I choose the opposite. I choose to live for the world. And, and I bought into the lies that, you know, money, um, sex, power, um, worldly things, possessions, all those things would bring happiness. And while the Bible says that it brings happiness, all sin, or your sin will bring happiness for a, a season, it doesn't last, you know. Those things never lasted. They didn't bring true joy. So what I was needing was I was needing a relationship with God. And, and I knew that. And I, we started going to Calvary Chapel. I'm still not saved. And I come across, come across this verse. And this was a hard one for me to deal with. You know, So you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. <laughs> Good for you. Even the demons believe and they tremble in terror. Now, that was a hard one for me to grasp. You know? Well, yeah, but the demons believe. Well, the demons believe because they know God. They were with God. They were fallen angels. So they've seen him. That's how they believe. So how can I, you know, does that put me in the same category as them? You know, I believe, but it doesn't change the way I live. They believe. They knew him. And it, it didn't change their choices. So, like I said, I needed that relationship with Jesus. And that was, that was key. Another verse that I had a hard time with was Matthew um, twelve thirty. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. And this is Jesus speaking. These are His words. So that was pretty powerful. You know, I I don't want to be against God, but I'm definitely not for God. I'm not working with Him. I'm not aligning with Him. So that was that was hard for me to wrestle with, um, and, and and at any point I could have asked Jesus into my life. My life would have been dramatically different, but I didn't. I, I waited, and things got worse and worse and worse. Um, it, it, but really, I was became an awful man. Um, I treated Shannon horribly. I treated my fam my family horribly. Um, I said things to Shannon that I wouldn't even I wouldn't say to my worst enemy, but yet I'll treat her that way. The drinking and the partying, talked about getting into construction, you know, at that time we were traveling a lot. And, and I wanted to blame, oh, you know, blame it on that. that was, no, that wasn't the problem. The problem was in my heart. Because afterwards, I could still be in the same industry for another 10 years and it not to be an issue. So it wasn't my circumstances that caused me. It wasn't what I was born into. It wasn't I was made this way. Um, I, I have a hard time with the term alcoholism and when they refer to it as a that the reason I have a hard time with that, and any other thing like that, you know, drug addictions, things like that, that it's a disease, because that breeds, that breeds in my heart and in my head a sense of hopelessness, and God is not, 
He is the God of hope, the Bible says. That there's three things that'll last, faith, love, and hope. You know? So what I, there's alcoholism out there and it's a disease. Well, that makes it sound hopeless, like you can't control it. You know, it's, oh, I'm just born this way. No, that's not true. And any other thing that the world labels that way, not true. God, well, what we need to do is recognize it as what it, God says it is, and it's sin. It's sin in our lives, and we need to repent from sin and turn to God, and that's the answer. It's not a class. It's not a pill you take. It's not a medication. It's not a, anything like that. It's recognizing sin in our lives, repenting, and turning to God, and, um, and that happened to me, you know, finally. Like I said, God is a long-suffering God, and um, my wife is a long-suffering wife to put up with everything she did. Um, so all the partying, all the wildness, it all comes to a head one night. All my lies have caught up to me. And there's no way I'm, I'm getting out of it. I can't lie my way out of this anymore. Um, it all comes to a head. And, and my biggest worry was that I would lose my family. You know? And me and Shannon at the time were not doing well. But the thought of losing the girls, that, that scared me. So, so here I am, a man who's, who's gone to church, who's done the religious thing, the traditional thing. And even when I was at church, you know, I wouldn't sing. <laughs> I'm not going to worship God, you know. Okay, God, here's my hour. Here's my hour this week, but the rest of my life is mine. I gave you yours, now you stay out of mine. You know, that, that was where my heart was all throughout the growing up and all throughout those religious times in my life. And so, like I say, it all comes to a head one night, and, and I'm, I'm terrified. I'm terrified that I'll lose my family. And so I go to the end of the bed, and, and my prayer is, God, if you let me keep my family, I'll do anything you ask. And that is, is the prayer of salvation. Now, that's not a traditional prayer that you hear. You know, there's more traditional prayers. You know, goes through a list of things. You, you recognize Jesus' death on the cross and all that. But that was a prayer of salvation. And the other place I find that in the Bible is in Luke. In Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. Um, so this is Jesus' death on the cross. And there's two men that are, are crucified with him. And the one mocks him, and the other one says this. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. So that right there, that was that man's prayer of salvation. You, you read it. This sinful man that is dying a death on the cross that he says he deserved is, is now asked Jesus, just remember me when you come into your kingdom. So... It's not, a, it's not a head knowledge. It's not that I say all the right words. It's your heart. And this man's heart, Jesus recognizes that. God knows our hearts. He knows our desires. He knows everything about us. Jesus recognized that and said, you will be with me in paradise. That was his prayer of salvation. And like I said, mine was at the end of my bed. God, please don't let me lose my family. I'll do anything you ask. Um, and that, that salvation... Like I said, this is the verse that's printed on those bags that we go out with the homeless. But this verse right here, this sums it up. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. Period. End of story. And that's what that man on the cross did. He confessed with his mouth that Jesus was Lord. 
Lord, remember me into your kingdom. And he believed in his heart. He believed that he was God. And that was it. That's all it is. That's all it takes. And it's such a simple step. You confess with your mouth that he is God. You believe it in your heart. You are saved. Done deal. Never to be undone. God never lets you go after that. Um, and everyone can apply that to their lives. That, that's not just for me. That's just not for the, the thief on the cross. That is for everyone. Jesus died for us all, the Bible says. So, um, now in this moment, I've come to, i come to know Jesus um, in my heart. And so, so what does that do? Um, that convicts me of a lot of my sins. I didn't get cleaned up first. I was still a mess. We're still eyeball deep in sin. But I've come to ask Jesus into my life. And now where do I go from here? And what he began to do, what God began to do was, you know, these are the sins in your life. And, then, and the Bible makes it clear. Ask for forgiveness and you'll be forgiven. That's it. Done deal. God never brings it up again. He, for, he, he buries it. He puts it in the depths of the ocean. Cast your sin as far away as the east is from the west. So it's not like when me and Shannon get into a fight, you know, oh, if she makes me mad enough, I'll probably bring this up again. You know, no, that's not how God works. God forgives you, he never brings it up again. He never holds it over your head. Not like I can do. And I'm not supposed to by any means. When I forgive Shannon, it's supposed to be the same way, the same model. Um, so, um, if we go to Romans 6.16, um, don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So this right here, I've been a slave to sin. Now, while I was living very foolishly, I wasn't completely stupid. Many times in my life, I thought I should quit drinking. You know, this has been too much. This is not good for my family. This is hurting me and my family. Um, but I couldn't. You know, I'd go for a couple days, but then come right back to it. And and the partying lifestyle that I had when we were on the road, I brought that same partying lifestyle back home when we working here in town and, and every night they'd be going out to the bars and Shannon would have no idea if her husband's coming home that night or if he's not or if she'd have to get a phone call at 2 in the morning when the bar closed to come pick him up or, um, and, and I knew that that was, that was wrong but I still that sin had a power over me and sin has a power over all of our lives in many different ways You know, it could be um, a problem with lying, it could be a problem with Gossiping. It could be many different things that the Bible calls out, and that sin has a power to us, and it draws us in. You know, there's a saying that I've heard many times, sin takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you're willing to pay. And that is very true. I found it to be very, very true in my life. You know? So, I still you know, struggled. The alcohol was a pretty small struggle that he, God pretty well shut that off right away in a way that only he could do. And that's how I do. He must be real. Because I struggled with this for many, many years. And now all of a sudden, it's not a, not a draw to me. I'm not, I don't need it like I once did. That was pretty amazing um, to me. Other things in life that I was doing it just weren't, weren't good. Um, was, you know, chewing tobacco. Chewing tobacco from, I don't know, probably the age of 14 out of the farm. You know, until this point. And that was one I really struggled with. And cussing. My mouth was awful. 
I couldn't say a sentence without three F words in there. It just didn't happen. I had an awful mouth. Um, and, and when I began to realize these verses here that we're, we're going through, that's when I realized that that, that power that, that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power lives inside of you, and that he's stronger than all those sins and all those things that, that I do that aren't right living. And that he, not me, he could clean them up for me when I trusted in him. Um, so another verse that I think speaks to that too is, uh, is Romans 6, verses 10 and 11. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. And that's the power of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That's the power that God has. He has that power. The Bible says that we're a slave to our sins. He has the power to break those chains, to free us from that, that slavery. And all we have to do is trust in him. Now, I'm a believer at this point in my life, and like I say, I still struggle with many things. Um, you know, this is probably a year or two into being a Christian. Um, but I did realize that, that I didn't want the, the worldly lifestyle, all the things in the world that they offered, you know, all these things that make me happy. It didn't make me happy, and I didn't want that. And I realized I've been lying to you. And you know, I, I equated this to the, the, the Christmas Santa thing. I'm not sure we won't get into that. That really upset me when I was a kid when I found out about uh, Mr. Claus. That was a big deal. And I felt the same way. I look at Kylie because that was a big deal for him. <laughs> so, I don't want to go too much into it. But, um, she harbors a lot of But I felt the same way. The world is lying to me all this time. I don't want anything to do with them. And I, I was done. And, and for that, that first year right away, I don't want to listen to secular music. I don't want to watch TV. I don't want the commercials. I don't want anything. So I started listening to Christian music. <laughs> and I, I related that to, well, this really isn't like that music. I'm not really sure I like this. Um, but I'm going to listen to it anyways. And over time, I've grown to love it. And that's what I desire to listen to. It focuses my heart. Um, when we're going through tough times, you know, losing a job, I'm usually a pretty happy, steady guy, but you, know, you go through depression. And, and that happens to all of us, whether we want to admit it or not. And it can be deep and dark, and you can think all kinds of awful, awful thoughts. And, and the way that I've found for my life to get out of it, and for all of our lives, is, is to, to worship God, to sing those songs in my heart. Um, and that, that that alone is, is what, what battles against it. Um, not necessarily worldly medicine or things like that, or, or different programs, but God and God alone. He's, he's the power over all sin. So, for me, we'll talk through the, some verses that, that relate to, to, to the drinking, to the, what was going on in my life, um, but, but also, it's, it's a, you can replace it for other sins. So in Ephesians 5.18, and don't be drunk with wine, um, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So this one I, I bring up, and it's not in the New Living Translation. This is the New King James Version. So all, all the versions, all the different New Living Translation, King James Version, New American Version Standard, all point to Jesus, all the same. But sometimes they're not quite what the, the original 
the New Testament was written in Greek and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and they're not always a good interpretation in my opinion. Um, so the New Living Translation for this verse says, and don't be drunk with wine, it will ruin your life. Um, well, while I agree with that statement, that's not what the original text says. The original text says this here, and dissipation is a spiraling into more drunkenness, into more sin. So, so what you can interpret this, don't be involved in sin, it leads to more sin, that dissipation, the spiraling downhill, downhill into more sin. And that's why, while I agree with it to ruin your life, because it was ruining mine, that's not what the original text says. So I don't believe that that's what God says. So that's why I, I pulled it up in the New King James. Now don't get worried about this because I got worried early on in my Christian life. Oh, I've got to make sure I got the exact right text. But I found things in the King James that I don't think line up with the original Greek and Hebrew. And the way that I do that when I'm preparing and studying is, is I have a Bible or I have my computer program and it pulls up four different versions all at once. And I can kind of read them all in the same line. And I say, well, there's something different here. And if there is, then I go back to the Greek or to the Hebrew and look that up. And not that I'm an expert in that by any means, but God has done a work in my life and has shown me those tools. Um, so, that was a, one that one that I struggled with that, that I understood um, in my life and I wanted to bring that up to, to show you when I'm studying through, what am I looking for and why would I use a different translation than what I've been teaching all throughout today. Um, and that's the reason why. So, Another place that I read, um, Jesus replied in John 8, 34 through 36. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. So at this point, he's talking to um, the religious leaders of the day, and they're relying on their lineage were sons of Abraham, and he's explaining that. But out of that I take that, that he is more powerful than all the sins. So we are a slave to sin, whatever that sin may be, but that's not the way our lives have to be. That's not who we are. Jesus can set us free from all those sins. While he certainly did me, um, and still is, I, I still fall short, but the difference between my life now and my life before was a lot less sin than what I was going through before. So. so, what does that mean going forward for me? We got taught this uh, probably early on in our, in our last 10 years is that, that while we are as Christians to be a light and a witness to everyone around us, we can cause other people to stumble. And in the church we were in, they had for their pastors... First, they had a no drinking policy, and, and then Dave said, well, when I read through the Bible, I don't read that that's correct. Because the Bible doesn't say you can't drink. It makes it very clear not to get drunk. But um, it doesn't say you can't drink, but it does say you can't stumble for the believers in what you eat and what you drink or anything else. So what we're to do as Christians is to live in a way that we don't stumble others. So Romans 14.21, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. Um, so that, to me, really spoke to my life. You know, is another reason. Can I can I go out and drink this a little bit? And I learned early on that there 
little control. If I went to go meet a friend for a drink at the bar, it could easily spiral out of hand, even after becoming a believer. Um, so what this really meant to me was if I'm going to be profess to be a Christian and all it's going to take when I was drinking, all it would take is for Shan to have one drink, one glass of wine at night, and that would help. Oh, you're just as bad as me. You know, that, that 12 pack, that was fine. You know, but you, you did it yourself. So what I take out of this is that I'm not to stumble at others. And that's a calling on my life and, and for Christians, but then just not to drink um, at all. In public, can it, as a Christian, could you go out and have a, a beer, a glass of wine? Absolutely. Um, but I don't want to cause others to stumble. And then getting into this calling in my life, that's another big one. There's, um, and I'll bring that up. So I... I tell God at the end of my bed, I, you give me, let me keep my family, I do anything you ask. Very, you know, great prayer, right? And he doesn't, what amazes me is that he doesn't, he doesn't keep me in my family because, you know, I got him right where I want him, he'll do anything I ask. No, I, I learned that he, he answered my prayer because he loves me. He died on the cross for my sins for that old sole reason that he loved me that much. And that blew me away. I could, and that's really what drew me closer, drew me closer to him. And so, I've, I've gotten away from the worldly things. I don't want anything to do with them. At this point in my life, I just want to listen to Bible studies, Christian music. Um, and this is probably eight years ago, a couple of years after getting saved. I'm on a treadmill, and I'm listening to a Bible study, and I feel God say to me, you know, Matt, that's going to be you someday. And right away, instantly, in my head, I reply back, nope, I can't read out loud. I can't, uh, I'm not a public speaker. I don't know the Bible very well. I had a list of all these things that I can't do. Why I can't do that. So here, I just told God, you know, anything you ask, I'll do it. <laughs> a couple years later, Matt, this is you. Oh, absolutely not. So, so, so much for that. But that's not why God saved me, and that's not why God answered my prayer that night. He answered it because he loved me. So, um, what does that mean? Me and Shannon have had this talk when God speaks. Um, and the one place that I find that is in, in 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, 1 Kings chapter 18 is amazing. You have this contest on Mount Carmel with Elijah and the prophets and these false prophets. And it's this amazing thing. God does an amazing work, and it is an awesome story. And I would love to get into that today, but we're going to run short on time. So we'll have to save that for another time. So God just does this amazing work, and Elijah is the one he does it through. Elijah is the prophet up on that mountain, and God does an amazing work through. You can see God working in the very next chapter. You see Elijah running away in fear. Um, and so, so Elijah is, is run away. He's hiding. And he, he, everybody's abandoning him, God. There's no one left but me. And that's not true. None of that was true, what Elijah was saying. Um, but here, I pick up where God speaks to Elijah and how he speaks to him. So in 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And a lot of times, I think we're expecting God to show up in these big, mighty ways and speak to us loudly. You know, he's a big, mighty, powerful God. Um, and that's it's just not, not what I see, not how it is. Can God speak to us loudly? Absolutely, he can. Um, does he? No, not necessarily. Um, so then, 
to finish it off, verse 12 and 13. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he heard God's voice in that gentle whisper. At that point, he was ashamed. He knew, he knew that God was speaking to him. And, and I, I would say that God was speaking to him even when he was running away in fear. And, and at this point, he knows that. So when I, the best way I've ever heard this explained is that I got all these thoughts in my head. Um, and, and I want to know, is that a thought from God or is that not? And the best way I've ever heard it explained is, does it line up with the Bible? And if it lines up with the Bible, then it's probably from God. And the only way to know that is to study the Bible, to get into his word regularly, every day, I would say. Even if it's just one verse. I, I wouldn't stop at one verse. And I, would, I would read more than that. But I would get into his word. And I'd, I'd get involved in a church that teaches through the word. Because that's how you know. And that's when, when my thoughts in my head line up with God's word, then I know that that's from God. So, so that's one way. So this, this thought I have in my head where I feel and say that, you know, Matt, that's going to be you someday. And, and of course I reject that. Um, you know, I, I feel, feel down after that, you know, but he still is in the back of my mind, still working, you know, that's not over yet. So like I said, that was eight years ago. And that calling that he puts on, the calling that that he puts on and says, Matt, that's going to be you someday. I understand that more in Ephesians, in chapter 4, 11 and 12. And he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so what I take out of that is, is the, the sum to be pastors and teachers. And this um, is an amazing verse. I don't know if you guys can see all this. Is there a glare? Uh, okay. So, um, the, and, the pastors and teachers. You have some conjunctions in here. And that pastors and teachers is a unique conjunction um, when we look at it. So this is the, this is the, the Greek. And all the, the circled words are conjunction words. So, but the, the chi, the last one, is joining two words together. So, de is the one in the middle, and that's kind of like, like you would see here, like it's structured. You see that he gave some to be apostles, comma, that's de. Some prophets, comma, that's de. Some evangelists, comma, and, that's de, and is still de, some pastors and teachers, that and is kind, and that joins two words together. So what that means is that it connects them. It's connecting two single words. So the, the calling for a pastor and teacher is one. And what does that mean? The pastor is a shepherd. You do, I do life with people. We love on people, but I'm also called to teach. And it's not one or the other. And I, and I make a distinction of that because I've heard people say, oh, I'm just called to be a teacher. Well, I, I don't see that in God's Word. That's not how I understand it. I understand that you're to do a pastor as a shepherd. And pastor is a word that I really don't like. Even in the construction world, I never liked titles. You know, um, just, I don't know. I always struggle with that. But 
Pastor seems like a word that elevates, and that's not how I take it. Uh, if, I were to, if I were to print out business cards, it would say, you know, the church, Matt Fonte, and if I had to have a title underneath, it would say, bond servant of Jesus Christ, because that's how Paul did it, and that's what it really should be. You serve others. Um, so that's what that calling is, to teach and to serve others, and to do life. And that brings up probably one of the first points of accountability. So I, by doing this, I want to do life with each and every one of you. And that means if you leave here and this is your church, don't leave without my cell phone number. And for the men, if you want to talk, if there's something that's bothering you, something you're struggling with, something you're going through, um, you have a crisis in your life and you need some prayer, you know, you call me. My phone is on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It never gets turned off. And for the women, don't leave here without Shannon's phone number. And if you need something, call her. And we will call you back or text us both and we'll text you back, or I'll text you back. But that's the first place of accountability. There's three places that, that a, a pastor, a church leader needs accountability. One is accountability um, sexually with other women. You, you've never to be alone with another woman, period. doesn't happen. Um, and that includes phone calls and conversations. They're all with someone else. And in this case, it's with Shannon. Um, the other area, and we'll get to this probably weeks to come is in, in financial areas. You know, what accountability measures do you have set up that you're not fleecing the flock, that you're not stealing from the church? Um, and the third one is, are you teaching appropriately? Are you teaching God's word and is it true and how are you accountable in that area? Um, and we'll get into that probably in later weeks to come also. But this is the first one. So this calling on my life is to do life with you guys, whatever that means. And if you're a man, feel free to call me in time. If you're a woman, call Shannon or text us both. And we'll, like I said, both of our phones are on 24 hours a day. So that's what this calling is. Um, this calling also, I pick up in 1 Timothy. And this goes through church leadership. What that, what that is and what that means. Um, and the, the, the wording that, there's another translation that, gives it a little different wording. Instead of elder, it uses overseer. And that, to me, fits better with the context of what's being said here. Um, so an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. So, um, that there, that's, that's the other part that's the calling on my life. If I'm going to lead, I must fall into those. Um, now, some people get caught up on the last verse there. You know, must have children willing to obey and respect him. Well, we'll finish the, finish the verse and we'll come back to that. So, um, we'll pick it up again in verse 5. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer, because he might become proud, and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him, so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Um, so, that manage my house well. 
What does that mean? Does that mean that I have perfect children? No. And there's a lot of people that do think that. All of the kids have made a mistake. But what that means, you're asked to manage your house as you would manage the church. Now there's discipline that takes place in a home. When when kids step out of line, there's discipline, and they know that. But the same goes for a church. When there's there's things that you can and can't do in a church. You know, if you're going to be divisive, if you're going to teach falsely, if you're going to be quarrelsome, the Bible calls those out in the church, and there's church discipline that takes place there. And it's not a call to be perfect, because none of us are perfect. The church is never perfect. My children are never perfect. I'm not perfect. Um, but it is a call to discipline when things have gone wrong. And that's the, that's the call that, that you're accepting. That I'm disciplined in my house, but also a discipline in the church. That you would not turn a blind eye or let things go um, when there's division or quarrelsome people or, or wolves. And the Bible warns about that. So, so that's that call as I understand it. So... So we don't have to worry about my kids. You don't have to follow them on Facebook. Make sure they're not sinning. They're going to sin. But I'm going to correct that. That's what I'm, that's what I'm called to do in that, in that moment there. So life goes on. Um, probably another five years go by just doing life. Growing closer to Jesus. My life is less sinful. Um, still sin in my life. I still fall short every day. I still have to ask God for forgiveness. Um, but we in Castle Rock would do um, a believer service or a prayer service. You know, we do it the first Saturday of the month, and we and Shannon would go to them, and people who need need healing or sick would come and they'd get anointed with oil. The Bible calls that out, and we'd lay hands on them and pray for healing. We pray for spiritual gifts. We just pray for things that are going on in people's lives, and we'd gone through it regularly and, and just sat, you know sat there and just prayed with people, and, and that was amazing. That, that was awesome. But one of the afterglows, one of the prayer services, you know, it got announced I think like the week before, the Wednesday before. Anyone who's been called to um, called into the ministry, please come and we want to lay hands on you. And God speaks very loudly at this point. This is not a whisper in my head. This is loud. And I'm still resistant. I was resistant the whole time. I never accepted it. Still resistant at this point. And at this point in my life, I just put a lift on my pickup, a little two-inch leveling kit, raise it up, but people are, my headlights are a little brighter and shining in people's eyes and constantly people are flashing their lights at me. I did not adjust my headlights yet. So I, I read about signs from a story that we're going to read, Jonathan and his armor bearer. Um, and and I apply this to my life. I, I, I want this in my life. I see how Jonathan worked um, and it was amazing. And so I asked God for a clear sign. I said, okay, God, if someone flashes their lights at me on the way to this afterglow, I'll tell you, this, this isn't from you. I'll turn around and go home. And the whole way there, no one does. And I fully expected to, because at that point, many people are, because my lights are shining right in their eyes. Yeah, can we go back to that slide? Yeah. What does it mean by verse 6, an elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall? So is that saying all an elder, like my dad or someone like that, if they become a believer, well, if they become boastful? So I think elder there is... Um, overseer, or church leader. Okay. And you don't want to, you don't want someone leading a church who's a new believer. You know, bring up pride in them that you know, oh look at me, look what God's done. You know, and it, I think God, what God is saying here is, it takes time before you can develop that person. Okay. It takes time to be a believer. So, it's how I think. So Jonathan is armor bearer, and we'll we'll read through it here quickly. 
I promise you, we are almost done. We just got there. So, but this this story here, I, I love this story. This spoke greatly to me on, on how this works because I picture Jonathan is a man of God that is you know, seeking after God's will and, and loves God. And so he has this thought in his head is how I picture this leading into this story. He's got this thought in his head that oh, you should go fight the you should go fight the Philistine army. And and so, like I said earlier, those thoughts in your head, you're line up with the Bible if they don't, and that's how you know. Well, this one could go either way, you know. Could God have you know, put this thought in his head to go fight the Philistine army, or could God have, could it be from the enemy that he set him up to fail? And it could go either way. So Jonathan realizes that and, and asks God for a clear sign and gets it. And, and I, I think that is amazing. So, I'll pick it up just as a start of the, the chapter here. One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come on, let's go to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Giba, around the pomegranate tree at Migron. Among Saul's men was Ijah, the priest, who was wearing the ephod in the priestly vest. Ijah was the son of Ichad, brother of Thetub, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp to reach the Philistine outpost. Jonathan had to go between two rocky cliffs that were called Boaz and Shinnah. The cliff on the north was in the front of Mishim, and the one on the south was in the front of Gibeah. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can, make, he can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I am with you completely, whatever you decide. And there's so many things we can take out of here. I mean, this is probably a study all on its own. Just amazing things. But, but I do love that his armor bearer, you know, whatever you say. I trust you. You're a man of God. I'm going to follow you, Jonathan. All right, then, Jonathan told him. We will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we will kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. So that's what Jonathan prayed. He prayed that it would be out of his hands. They're either going to say, stay there, and we're going to kill you, and you know, okay, God, I know that wasn't from you, or come up and fight. And Jonathan would take that as a sign, okay, God, that was from you. And, and, and he does, and we'll pick it up in verse 11. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come on up here, and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on up. Climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines prayed before Jonathan and his armor bearer, killed, I'm sorry, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. So these two are fighting back to back, which is an amazing thought to them. So, like I said, this is, the whole thing could be a whole other study. Hopefully someday we'll get into. They killed some 22 men in all, and their bodies were scattered all over a half acre. Suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in camp and in the field, 
including even the outposts and raiding parties. Just then, an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. So God gives them victory, these two men, and if we continue reading on, the whole Philistine army <laughs> runs away in fear. It says that they melted away from the hills. You know? So at this point, the Israelites are surrounded by them, there's 600 Israelites, and, and the Philistines are covering all of the hills. So, so for God to do this and do it in a way that only he can is amazing. But for Jonathan to, to ask for that and to take the decision out of his hand, that's what I, I like to apply to my life. And that's where I say I pray for signs. And it's just a thought that comes up. You know, God, if you want me to do this, then maybe I'll get an email or a text message from this person. Or, or if I head this way, I'll get an email or text message from this person. Or something to that effect where the decision's out of my hands. I'm not in control of the outcome. I just trust that God is. Because I read that, and I read that Jonathan trusted. So, so that's when I talk about getting signs, that's how I apply it to my life. And that's what, what God's Word says about it. Um, so, so at this point in the afterglow, we're there. I'm still apprehensive, still hesitant. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'll just sit it back and they'll pray for me, and life will be good, and I'll go on. Um, but that's not the way God so they say, well, anyone that feels called to the ministry, come up. You know, we want to lay hands on you. We want to pray with you and anoint you. And so, uh, so I go up, and, <laughs> and they, they pray, and they anoint. And, and I read that that, that takes place in, in kind of in line with 1 Timothy here. Um, Do not neglect the spiritual gifts you received through the prophecies spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. So Timothy is, is a church leader. And that's where the laying on of hands comes from. So that, that took place here in my life probably about three years ago. But then still three years goes by, so now at this point in my life, I've accepted his call, but I'm just waiting on him. I figured it, in his timing, in his way, uh, he'll, he'll reveal that to, to me and, and to us as to when that will be. And, and here, about a year ago, well, two years ago, he moved us to this house in a way that only he could kind of debating and, and I wanted to wait for a, a clear sign as to which house we should be in whether it's in Monument or here and I understand how the Adam and Eve thing worked because Shannon got pretty upset and we had an offer on ours she said well you need to do something you need to make an offer so even though I, clearly we're supposed to be waiting on a sign I understand how Adam and Eve how Eve pressured Adam into so long story short we make an offer on that house they accept one that was 25,000 less than what we offered which was unheard of at this time um, and so God opened up the doors here so no doubt we're here we're right where we're supposed to be um, and, and, and God has, has made that clear he led us to a church here um, over in Sun Country that we've been at for the last year and we just learned a lot out there. We've learned the value of uh, just community, you know, being in a church in our community. That's been on our heart for the last couple of years, me and Shan's heart, that we'd be a part of a church in our community, you know, where our kids grow up, where we do life, who we do life with. Um, we loved our church in Castle Rock, but God called us out here. And, and we got to learn, like I said, lots of Lots of great things through that, um, through that time out there, and 
learned just how important a community church is. So, so uh, I got all screwed up in my notes. So we'll just have to finish out in the last couple of slides here. Um, so this call, this love that God has, God explains that. The, the one that I couldn't imagine, you know, why would he want anything to do with me? I want nothing to do with him. And this really sums it up. And it's in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that's what he did. He sent his son to die in our place. That's how much he loved me before he ever created me, before I ever went to the end of the bed. And that's what it all sums up. And if that's you in your life, you know, that you believe in God in your head and, and it never sunk into your heart and he's calling you now, um, I just want to, want to invite you into that, that prayer. And we can go through that prayer and it's, it's pretty simple. It's, it's, um, it goes along the lines of this. And, Dear Father, I've I believe in you, I believe in your son Jesus, and I believe in the work that he did. Amen. Because of that, I am set free. I am no longer a slave to sin. And I thank you, Jesus, for your work on the cross. I believe in who you are, and I ask you to come into my life. And if you pray a prayer, something along those lines, that's it. You're saved. You're done. It's sealed. Never to be, to be um, removed. And, and where I, I get that is this last slide here. So what if you've ever prayed that prayer in your life, but maybe you've not lived it. Maybe you've walked away. Um, David. This is David and Goliath. David, who goes on to be this great King David. God calls him a man after his own heart. is living his life, but then David finds himself in sin. He goes on to have an affair with Bathsheba, and then he goes on to murder uh, Bathsheba's husband. So this great man of God goes and does these things. And, and in a way that only God can, God brings him back and, and, and calls him back. And he, and he does it through a story. He tells a story about two men. He said, this prophet comes to David, who's the king of, of Israel at the time. So there's two men. There's a, a, a very rich man and a very poor man. And this poor man, all he has is this one sheep, David. And um, he loves his sheep. You know, he doesn't have very struggle to, to make money to, to feed but he loves his sheep. You know, he feeds his sheep from his own table. And he said, and the rich man came to him. He had some friends that came over, and he didn't want to take one of his own flock. So he stole this man's sheep, and he slaughtered it and, and had it for a feast. And David becomes irate. You know, we should do all these things to him. You know? And Nathaniel tells David, the prophet tells David, David, you're that man. You stole that sheep. And at that point, David repents. And David you know, realizes what he had done that he'd walked away from God. But the, the very interesting thing to me is that David writes this psalm. And in this psalm he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. So he doesn't say, Please give me my salvation back. I need to pray that prayer again. No, he just says, Return to me the joy. Just ask for God to return to him. So he never lost his salvation. He was never not saved. So if you've ever prayed the prayer of salvation, ask Jesus into your heart. If you've walked away, you don't have to pray it again. He's still with you. Just ask him to return to you that joy. Ask him to come back into your life. And that we can do too. So um, we went a little long. <laughs> I do apologize for that. Uh, 
but it's kind of an introduction and it was a lot to say. There's a lot of other things I'd love to say, but just don't have time for. So that's where we ended up and where we ended. So if you would, I'd like to pray and we'll finish up. Finish, finish up, we'll pray. I think another way for accountability is I love when we did this on Wednesday nights. Is just open it up to any questions you guys have. Questions about anything, you know, and we're done with that. We'll sing one last song and we'll be done. So, you know, let me pray first. Dear Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for the work that you do in each one of our lives. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. I ask that you would guide us as we go out this week, that we would be a light and a witness to you, that you would bless us, that you would strengthen us, that you would fill us with peace and joy. It can only come from you, Lord, that we would trust in you, that we would know that you have our best interests, that you are guiding us. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. So if you guys have any questions about anything, this or anything else, there's probably lots. Your cell number? Myself, 
in right. Matthew, oh yeah, in Matthew chapter 9, verses, starting in verse 10, Jesus makes this clear. So Jesus is talking to Matthew, who's a, a despised tax collector. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as did our guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But the Pharisees saw this, and they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call those... I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. When I got saved, going to church, I was thinking, man, look at all these people in church. These are all like godly people. You know, probably been godly their whole life, and then we got to know them. And no, they were. I, I haven't met the person yet that just told a few lies in their life. I've met a lot of people who were in a lot of sin, just like we yeah. were. We went to a uh, couples retreat. It, with Calvary, and man, there were some stories that I'm like, wow. Like, me and Matt had a story, and we're like, well, nobody's story is like ours. I'm like, it's bad. But then we're like, listening to all of this, and we're like, we are. We're, we, we got friends. <laughs> we so got friends. <laughs> so once you, it's like, yeah, I think that's what happens is we, people have come in as we have. I've been raised in the Catholic Church, you come in with your Bible, and you never opened your Bible. Half the time they had everything, like, and then it was the, the song, the singing, and and then I, I remember telling Matt, like, I don't remember opening the Bible, and I didn't. And what was crazy, I figured out later, there's five extra books in the Bible from the Catholic thing that I didn't even know was there. So I was like, well, because I never opened it. So the thing that kind of, when we started at Calvary, because we're super, like, we had great experiences and great help, and just as far as shepherding a flock, that was amazing for us to step out in faith and, and be there. But it is it is about, you know, sometimes you just have to let it out and say, hey, this is, this is where we're at. And yeah, our thing was to do life with everybody. And it's to, it's to love on each other and no, no judgment, so to speak. We're all sinners. We're all we're all. And the Bible makes that clear too. In Romans, yeah. all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, we're there all is no person perfect, no perfect person out there. Yeah. So we all are in need. So we're all in the same boat. So to act like we're not, to act like oh, I'm, I'm above that or I'm better than that, it's not. Yeah, we're totally a hot mess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that you're the one that Jesus is talking about. That didn't come to those who think they are righteous. There are those people out there, and they are in churches, and they think that yeah, they are better. You know, look at me. My family would never do that. And I'm always weary of people that say, oh, I'm a Christian. Well, if you have to introduce yourself as a Christian, I'm always a little nervous about that. You know, how about you just live your life and decide whether well, or not you're a Christian? Well, I think it's okay to say what... I agree. Yeah. But I, I make it more like the, the righteous, you know. Look at me, I'm a righteous person. Yeah. You know, like these Pharisees, yeah. these religious leaders. You know. Yes, to proclaim to be a Christian is absolutely fine. I'm more of, yeah. when you say, like, I'm, I'm a Christian... So I'm above any sinful things. That's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Yep. And I do miss speaking from time to time. So if you have a question at the end of something I said, you didn't, like, I'm not sure about that. Please ask me. You won't offend me. Um, I, I still 
Matt likes to answer a lot of questions. I don't know about that. So that's kind of it. That's life. So we'll finish with one last song, and then we'll go be lights and witnesses out and then start communing.